This week, let's talk about what will happen to virtual and in-person conferences as we emerge from the pandemic. What are the implications for event organisers and for speakers? My guest is Erica Maurer, and this is episode 268 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This podcast is all about keeping marketing simple and all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a professional speaker and consultant from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the complexity and the BS from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks as always for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. Before we get into this week's interview with Erica Maurer, I'd just like to remind you about my book. It's called Cats, Maths and Marketing Plans. It's all about putting together a simple marketing strategy and avoiding complexity as your business grows. If you fancy buying a copy, go to rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. And you'll find the links to Amazon for the paperback and the Kindle edition. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Matt Desmere here on the podcast. And whilst that podcast episode was about marketing positioning, we did also touch upon the future of in-person and virtual events and the effects that the pandemic has had upon the events industry. I got a lot of great feedback on that very short 10-minute segment, so this week I'm delighted that my guest is Erica Maurer. Now, she works for a company called EMRG Media, based in New York, and they have been putting on some of the biggest conferences and expos in the United States. So no one better to learn from and to discuss the future of virtual events and in-person events. I've really missed going to in-person conference events, both as a speaker and as a participant during the pandemic. But I wonder whether true large in-person events will ever come back, however much society opens up again, however many people become vaccinated. What is the future of in-person and virtual events? Let's find out. Let's get straight into that interview with Erica right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Erica, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. Erica, thank you so much for joining me today. And you're over on the other side of the pond in New York City, and you are heavily in involved in event planning and have been for many years and in fact organized one of the largest expo events in the United States. And I think we've probably got a lot lot to talk about today about events and how they used to be and how they are now because of the pandemic and how they may turn out to be in the future. But before we start talking about that, Erica, give the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed and basically what makes Erica Maurer tick. Sure. Thanks, Roger. So um, I started off where I went to grad school at Columbia Grad, and I got my master's degree in business and in program planning and development. And then I realized that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I went into the field of events and marketing and really just tried to learn everything I could and work my way up. I actually started to work at EMRG Media many, many years ago and ultimately grew into becoming a partner at the business. 
So they, when they do say that if you work hard, you can get somewhere you can. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So um, my company now is a full service events, marketing and production agency, EMRG Media. And we produce in-person and then subsequently virtual event experiences um, since the pandemic hit. And we help both corporate companies and you know, nonprofit and social create in-person engaging experiences in a virtual world. Additionally, my company created the Event Planner Expo, which is the largest events marketing and hospitality trade show. And we launched that nine years ago. It's normally a three-day event with 4,000 attendees, vendor booths and keynotes and all that good stuff to really forge relationships and let people garner new business. And last year, we uh, took that virtual because of the pandemic. And then um, more recently, we created a Women Insider Network, which is a women's community. And that was created to allow women to connect and hear from business leaders. So we're trying to really create community. We care about creating a great event experience. And I've tried to take my marketing and education background and really take that into um, the business to make it what it is today. That's really interesting. And, and of course, the Event Planner Expo is a massive conference for event planners. My background, uh, just to just to uh, set the scene, um, I've been a marketing consultant for many years. In fact, I was I was in big corporate for many years as marketing director. I've been a speaker for as long as I can remember. And, and like you, I work very closely with event organizers. Uh, I'm also the marketing director of one of the biggest financial services conferences in the United Kingdom. And at the start of 2020, uh, my diary was full of events, uh, workshops, and that big financial services conference, which should have happened in July 2020. And of course, within the space of about seven days, the diary just went completely empty. Everything was cancelled or at least postponed. And obviously, like anybody in our profession, that was a oh my God moment, wasn't it? What was your initial thought when all of those events suddenly became at risk? So initially, I thought that this was a very quick situation, that we were on a temporary, you know, few week pause and that the world would resume Clearly, I was 100% incorrect. So I thought that when we got the call, I think it was March 13th or March 14th, 2020, and literally every single venue closed overnight, every single restaurant closed overnight, hotels overnight. One by one, we were receiving hundreds of phone calls from all these big corporations, all these social clients saying, what's the next move? And so I thought that, you know, it was March. I thought by June you know, maybe even sooner that we would be back to normal. And clearly I was a hundred percent because it was far from that. We're still in it right now. So we had to really start with just keeping the clients calm, even though we didn't really know what was going on exactly. But the goal was to make sure that they knew that we were there for them and whatever the process would be, however long it would take, we would make sure that we would stay in communication and we would guide them. Yeah, I look back at a tweet that I sent on the 23rd of March last year, which was the day that the UK went into lockdown. And my tweet said something like, well, that's it. We're in lockdown for at least three weeks. This obviously turned out to be much, much longer. When did you realise that it wasn't actually going to be something that was a few weeks duration and this was in fact effectively a sea change in event history and that nothing would probably ever be the same again? You know, the, the following week, you know, March 14th, we should have probably already been closed in New York the week before, because that's when cases started to spike. 
But then after single-handedly the entire city shut down, you know, including Broadway, I realized there was a much bigger thing going on that we obviously didn't know about because it was devastating. I mean, it was like the city that never sleeps literally was put to sleep. And it wasn't because we wanted to, right? Us event planners and producers and hospitality industry and marketers, we were still ready to go. We were prepared to, you know, work. So the fact that we literally had to be told, okay, your business, you can't bring your staff into your office. Like literally it was that extreme. It wasn't just the spaces are closed, but now there was a mandate, you cannot go into your office. That's when I realized, okay, this is going to be a lot, lot longer. I still didn't realize the magnitude of it. I thought it would still be, you know, a few months or longer. Um, and then as the news revealed, it seemed like it was a way bigger it was, it was something that was going to be way bigger than we all had expected. And of course, it did turn out to be the whole of 2020 and quite a mm-hmm. lot of 2021 as well. And obviously, a lot of event organisers and a lot of speakers like myself have had to pivot, uh, to use a word that I'm not that fond of, uh, into a virtual environment. Um, now, as an event company, I imagine that a lot of the infrastructure that you have in place already was w- was probably geared towards live venues, all the audiovisual equipment you would have used uh, and the partners that you would have used would have been experts in putting events on in event venues. When did you start to think we're, we're actually going to have to change completely and start doing virtual events? Well, what happened was we had several million dollars worth of already deposits received, right? Clients. And then we had to go after all the different corporations and speak to them. None of the corporations were willing to accept that that adaption, right? They were not willing to take that jump. They thought it was something that wasn't engaging and they were very hesitant. So literally from March, um, March, we realized, my, my business partner said, we're not coming back. And I thought that he was completely incorrect. And he started to dive 100% into taking our business virtual. Because like you said, 100%, we were in-person event experiences. So he took that move while I started to speak to the clients. And the clients were very hesitant. The first thing that they said was, our budgets were cut. We have no event expenditures. Like that's not happening, especially for virtual. Mm. So I continued, I said to myself, okay, you know, just like I didn't believe that it was going to happen. I said, you know, maybe this is going to be a bigger conversation. So I continued to speak to them and share ideas of what existed in this new virtual world. And I basically said to 99% of them, because most of them were repeats. If you trusted me in the real world, trust me in the virtual world. And we'll create an experience that will allow your team to enjoy it and not be such in a, in a high panic state, right? Everyone's working remotely. Let's create something that's engaging, that's exciting, that makes it show that you care about your staff. And that conversation probably went on with each of the clients for literally several months. It wasn't a two-second conversation. It wasn't even an easy conversation because there was so many people that had to be pulled in to vet the ideas because this was something that was foreign to them, right? Like it was not the norm. Yeah. So we continue to have those conversations. And I would say probably, and this is kind of crazy when you think of it as a timeline. So from March and April, we worked on it. In July, my company created what we called an event and leadership challenge. It was pretty much bringing together 50 high-level industry people 
And we did a completely free immersive event for 10 days where we just shared tons of value. And we showed them what an event would look like in a virtual world, right? And that eased people's understanding and it opened their minds. So that was the first kind of tipping point where I started to see movement. And then came around October, November. So now we're, you know, this is eight months into the pandemic. And people actually realized that they were not going to be hosting an in-person holiday party. It's almost like a light switch went off and they finally realized that it wasn't happening. I still had a ton of events that were booked in person and they were not willing to change it to virtual at that point. Yeah. Um, and then it was at that moment where we, I said to them, look, we're not going to be able to host it in person. How do you want your staff to feel at the end of the year? Do you want them to feel like they were appreciated? Do you want them to feel like you were thoughtful about them? Or do you want to end the year and see what happens in 2021? And that's, I think, where the tipping point was, was when they when I reframed it and we realized that they're all alone mm. and they really needed to be appreciated. And that's how the corporation started to take that initial, in my situation, initial jump was hand-holding them many, many conversations and also being flexible with them to say, tell us what your vision is. And we'll create something that will, you know, penetrate the virtual world that will feel like it was very thoughtful and caring. And then to your point where you mentioned, you know, we had a lot of vendors or strategic partners that we worked with in the, in the world, right? In the in-person event experiences, a lot of them were not translating well in a virtual world. Yeah. So I had to then say, oh my God, you know, just because I work with A, B, and C client and, and vendor partner, normally their energy level isn't coming through at the level that I need to keep these people engaged for a virtual event of an hour, two hours, even three hours. So I quickly had to, like you said, not use the word pivot, but let's say adjust and, you know, did a whole new series of bringing in people who maybe I didn't work with necessarily in person, but I knew their energy was at such a high level that if I worked with them, I could create the product that I wanted. And that's actually what mostly like what happened. Yeah, I think uh, I mentioned before that uh, I, I work with one of the biggest financial services conferences in the UK. And, and at first we were just like you, we thought this will pass in a month or two's time. So in March, we were still thinking that the July event would go ahead. And of course, the closer it came and the, the more the pandemic deepened, we realised, of, of course, we will have to do this this pivot, this adjustment as well. Now, what, a, what I'd started to see, and I'm sure this was the same with yourself, is that by then we were already starting to have Zoom fatigue and Teams fatigue, and people were spending all day in front of their computers. And yet some of the early virtual versions of UK conferences were effectively trying to replicate their in-person events almost speech by speech, by which I mean they would still have a 45-minute keynote. They'd still be spread over two days. They'd still try to have an hour-long panel. And the feedback that I got right from the start from people was, this is just not going to work. I don't want to sit in front of my computer and actually watch people do very poor presentations, which are really just us looking at slides with their with them appearing very tiny in the top corner as a tiny little postage stamp version of themselves. It's just not that engaging. So what we did with Protection Review Conference was we stripped it right down from a full day and a, a dinner in the evening into a two and a half hour event. None of the speakers spoke for more than 10 minutes 
everything was fast, lots of jump cutting, lots of changing between locations. And that seemed to work. That seemed to be an engaging way forward. And fortunately, it worked, and we got a lot of, of plaudits for it. What did you find worked for you when changing from the in-person to the, the virtual to keep that engagement level up? So there's two different parts. One was for the corporate sector, what we did was we created family immersive experiences, which normally wouldn't happen in in-person. So let's say, for example, you're home, you're working, you have a husband in one room, you have two kids in another room. What we did was we created experiences that would allow you to bring in your family. So that was something that went over tremendously well. People loved it. They felt like it was inclusive and it was very creative. So that was one thing that we did on the corporate side. Now with our trade show, which we did ours in October, and it's an annual, the Event Planner Expo, when we took ours virtual, we changed the content pretty much 90%. And what we did was we said, how can we help you from a business entrepreneurial perspective with content that will allow you to grow and keep your business alive? So we took it as a tactical educational aspect and we immersed the audience with really, really tangible takeaways so that they would feel like we were providing tons and tons of value. We didn't shorten the event, but we um, expanded it with the level of speakers, very big entrepreneurials, very big motivational speakers, very big inspirational speakers, and really, really high levels so that when people were coming in and they were down in you know, the dumps and they were very, very sad because their businesses were pretty much demolished overnight, they were leaving with inspiration and feeling rejuvenated. So that was how we adjusted ours from a, from a mindset shift. And what sort of advice are you actually giving to the people who speak at your events, Erica? I mean, from a personal point of view, um, I've been doing um, video for many years. I, I run a, a vlog channel on, on YouTube. So I'm pretty good at video editing. Uh, and I have to say, since the pandemic started, I seem to have spent more time video editing than ever before. But one of the things that I was able to do was to put together talks for conferences, which maybe partially live where I would be on Zoom or Teams or whatever the platform they were using, but I was able to pre-record some other video that was relevant to the talk, which I could then insert at the relevant point. And again, that just created a different dynamic that allowed me to stand out a little bit. And also it just changed things up to keep people's attention. So, so what sort of ideas and, and advice have you been giving to, to speakers who you've perhaps been working for, for with for years? We've been asking them to think really thoughtfully as to what their challenges have been throughout their business and to share those stories from a low point to a high point, showing that you can overcome obstacles. And we felt that if we can have that fluid thought process, right, where this is what happens, you know, there was, let's say, for example, you know, in 2008, we had the crash, right? Yeah. So it's not like this has not happened before. It's slightly different right? We're in a pandemic, but there's been similar things if you reflect back in history that you could say, this is mimicking pretty close to X. Yeah. So if you use those stories and you become relatable, it gives people the hope that there is hope, right? That things are not all lost, but that if you focus on, and we always call them like the small wins, we try to have the speakers really focus on what they're doing now to succeed. And it was interesting because the feedback that we got was, oh, wow, this is the first you know, conference 
that I've come to that was motivational and inspirational mm. and that people weren't sharing depressing stories. Well, guess what? We're already in a world that's flanked with obstacles, right? We're already dealing with things every single day that are super stressful. We did not want our Event Planner Expo conference to be that. We wanted it to be an escape. We wanted it to be a ray of light. We wanted it to provide people with knowledge and inspiration and the ability to connect with others to share stories. Because let's say, Roger, you know, you're you're doing something and I realize what you're doing can help my business. I'm going to leave feeling inspired that you just showed me a pathway that could help my business. And so that was something that we asked each of the speakers to really hone in on and think about. And ultimately, they all had some obstacle overcoming story. And when you integrate that and you align them with valuable takeaways, people were just really, really empowered. And that's where we did our shift. And one of the things that is perhaps hardest to replicate, and and for a speaker, you know, when I stand on a stage and there are lots of people in the audience looking at me, you've always got that that mm-hmm. connection, haven't you? You can you can see the body language. If they're all sat there with their arms folded, then you know that you've got a problem. If they're leaning forward and look excited, you know that you're hitting the spot. But mm-hmm. in a virtual environment, it's likely that you can't see the audience. Okay, you might, if it's a Zoom type of thing, you might be able to see the little photographs, but you don't get that immediate energy in the room, do you? You don't get that feedback from the audience. So how, how do you replicate that sort of interaction that you get in an in-person event? How do you replicate that virtually? Because that's the hardest thing that I've found. And that's a really good question. I would say that you don't exactly replicate it, right? You're not going to get that feeling from a speaker perspective of standing on that amazing stage, looking into a crowd of 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 people and seeing their energy. That's just not going to happen. But what's going to happen is you have a chat feature. And so what as a, let's say if I was interviewing you and you were on our stage, it is my responsibility as the event creator to then take important questions, right? And engaging aspects and filter it back so that the speaker knows that the audience is vibing with them and that they're following them and that they're supporting them and that they're engaged and bring those questions. So although it's different, it allows them to understand what's resonating with the audience. On top of that, we would always make sure that there was a certain amount of faces visible from a virtual perspective. Mm -hmm. So although you might not have been able to see those 3,000 attendees, 4,000 attendees, you could see the faces of 30 or 50 of them. So you did have the ability to feed off some of that energy. So it is different. It definitely takes adjustment. And it goes back to the point that I mentioned in the beginning, which is you need a speaker that's energy is going to project at a 150 level because someone who is a more laid back speaker on a virtu- on an actual stage who can command an audience because maybe they have good slides or their tempo is even keeled is not going to command the audience in the same magnitude in a virtual world. So you do have to almost vet the speakers a bit different and make sure that you go through it and you pre-prep to ensure that that energy is at that high level. And if that speaker is of a little bit lower quality level and a little bit more, um, needs a little more push and so forth, then you can curate their specific section so that it still delivers impactfully. It might be shorter. It might require a moderator to jump in more. So that's something that is really, really important when you're trying to keep someone's attention. Yeah, video has a sort of dampening effect, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I always try to compensate for this, but I always say that if you if you are normally a very uh, effusive person, 
when you shoot yourself on video, it almost seems to sort of, I don't know, reduce that that effusiveness down by about 30%. So you have almost have to go in with an extra 30% so that when it's done its dampening job, you actually look like you normally are. And, and, and I think if people don't compensate for that, then video takes that 30%, 40% off. And if they're already quite laid back, it makes them look even more laid back. One, one interesting uh, event that I did, I did speak at, which was a totally pre-recorded video so i recorded the video separately edited it like i would normally edit a, a vlog but then on on the day they broadcast the lie that video as live and had me as the speaker in the chat live as the speech was happening so that the audience could interact now on the one hand i thought that was actually quite good because i could answer questions effectively as I was speaking, if you get what I mean. But then on the other side of the coin, it was really weird as well, because I did feel a little bit like a fraud and I wasn't actually delivering it live. What, what's your thoughts about that sort of approach? So I think that both are really important. So for our Event Planner Expo, we did pre-record a bunch of the panel discussions. And yeah. we did that because there was not really, a, I don't want to say there wasn't a way, because obviously there's always a way, but it wasn't going to be as manageable. So we created the panel discussions and we pre-batched we pre -batched all of the sessions. Mm -hmm. And so for those, what was interesting is when we did it, we told the speakers that were on the panel, you can respond, but you have to respond at the end. And they were like, oh, because technically <laughs> it looked like it was live, right? Yeah. But that was done because it was October. We weren't that far into the pandemic. and from an execution perspective, we as a team were not comfortable being able to ensure, let's say, that four speakers plus a moderator would be able to execute it. Plus, we had multiple tracks going. So we had like a marketing track. We had a sales track. We had a business track. So there was multiple pieces going on simultaneously. So we did do that for about 60 of our panels. However, when it came to our keynote sessions, we did all of them live. Yeah. And so for those, what we did was we made sure that we pre-tested each of them. It did take a lot more time and it is more labor intensive, right? There's, there's a bigger cost to doing it live, yep. but we did it because we wanted that to be super authentic and we wanted to make sure that we could really vet out the questions for the keynotes because we knew that people were really coming to ask them and we, we felt like we had a responsibility for that, right? We wanted it to be authentic and we wound up doing the two. We married the two combinations. I think that they both, were executed very well. It seemed like the same. Um, you, it seemed like both of them were live, but I do have a preference to do it live. Yeah. I do like that better. I know it's, you know, it can be more stressful. There are a lot of logistics that need to be watched and so forth, but I am a fan of doing it live when you can accomplish that. I think I'm in, I'm in the same same camp as you. There's there's nothing that you can beat a live performance. So we've all, we're in this virtual environment now, Erica, and we're all looking forward. You know, I had my first COVID uh, vaccine jab just last Thursday. Fortunately, just had a sore arm for a few days, didn't get any other side effects. So I'm feeling quite positive that things will start to come back. But you know, even now, I'm talking to especially big corporates, and of course, big corporates have realised how much money they can save not having their staff traveling all over the country and going to conferences or even commuting to the office. And there's even that 
health and safety elements as well, where they're saying, you know, maybe for the rest of 2021, we don't actually want our staff to be traveling anywhere, let alone the budgets. So I'm not convinced that in-person events, certainly in the UK, are going to be back as they were in 2021. And even going forward, I wonder whether we'll end up with some sort of combination, which is of some hybrid, a virtual and in-person ha- happening at the same time. And, and maybe that's not a bad thing. You know, the aforementioned conference that I mentioned before, we have a limit of the number of people who can attend just because of the venue size. And therefore, it always tends to be their senior managers in the industry that come to the conference. I guess if you did a hybrid virtual in person, then you could open it up to a wider audience. So maybe there are advantages, but but where do you see it going over the next year or so? So I think that with the introduction of this virtual world, right, it's opened up a lot of opportunities that never existed. So there are positives that are going to come out of this. So when we have been doing events for corporate clients, you know, we work with clients like Diligent and Wanting Hundred Flowers and Media Math and Google and BuzzFeed and a lot of different clients, right? They're not having their staff in the office, as you mentioned. So what's happening is some people are in New York, some people are in Florida, some people are in London. And on top of it, they might have um, five, 10 offices throughout the country. So for the first time ever, we're able to connect employees and team members that have never met, that have never attended the same events, that have never experienced a collective group engagement. So where I think that that brings us is as the world reopens and as these new norms are created and we're able to do in-person events, I think that there's going to be what we'll call like a new element of the virtual, which will allow you to now connect to Dubai and a London and a, a Texas and, you know, Morocco and all these different areas yeah. that you never would have ever been able to, nor would you ever be able to afford bringing these people to New York, let's say, or, you know, to the UK, for example. So it's an interesting aspect because it allows a connectivity that never existed before. And I believe that that is a component that will continue to stay. And it also, on a second point of that, let's say, for example, you get vaccinated and you're supposed to go to an event. And let's say for whatever reason, you're not comfortable, right? You just don't feel 100% comfortable. You're not comfortable being around your your kids and your family and then going into like a 5,000 person event and coming home. The fact that you would have the ability to then literally click from a virtual perspective and watch, not saying everything, it's not going to be the same engagement, but the fact that you could choose potentially the ability to engage on a remote section and maybe receive, let's say, for example, we do these things called wow boxes. They're pre-boxed items that could be sent to a recipient who's going to come to an event um, or for that matter, who's going to participate on a virtual side. It opens up other levels of engagement that we were missing out on prior to COVID. It's quite exciting as well, isn't it? It really is quite exciting. It's, it's opened a lot of people's eyes to the to new possibilities. And, and I'm especially encouraged by that idea of widening the audience out. Erica, we've been talking for a, a long time now, but I feel like we could carry on and, and cover quite a few more topics. I usually bring the podcast to a close by asking my guests a question about their one big learn. But I do feel that we need to mention the Women Insider Network that you mentioned at the start of our chat this afternoon. So could you just maybe just give me a quick summary of what that's about? Sure. So the Women Insider Network was actually formed in the middle of the pandemic. It was created in December 2020 because we were receiving, as I mentioned, we produced the largest trade show for the events marketing hospitality industry. A lot of um, our attendees are women. And they were reaching out saying that they felt very isolated, disconnected, um, 
it was very different for them to be handling their families as well as their business. And they were struggling with that. And so out of this um, request, repeated requests, we created a community for women. It's not exclusively for women, men can join, but it was an opportunity to take high powered women and share their advice and knowledge to women on a virtual platform and allow people to connect so that they didn't feel like they were in this alone. You know, the highest statistic of people who lost their job during the pandemic are women. Mm. They either had to lose their job because they had to go home and handle their household or their job was just eradicated. And so there is a big displacement of that. And so giving them the ability to connect and feel like that they're learning powerful information from you know financial literacy to marketing, to sales, to mindset, all these different actionable things that they need to apply to their life to get them to move forward. That was what we created the Women Insider Network. And we do um, virtual events like every month and a half. And we bring about 40 high power women to share their stories. And so that was really giving back to the community. And it was very near and dear to our heart. It was something that we've always wanted to do, but we didn't really have the time. So we decided to launch it in the middle of the pandemic. Do you know, it, it's it's just great to hear about things like this. I think you said it earlier, sometimes we do focus on the negatives and, and, and this has been a global tragedy and, and you know it's affected many people and, and we have to be mindful of, of the tragedies that people have faced. But I think that things have changed in the world. There has been a much more of a focus on mental health and well-being and this uh, Women Insider Network is exactly the sort of thing that I'm talking about that's helping to develop people and helping to support people and the environmental effects, perhaps less travel and more virtual hybrid in-person events might be good for the, the climate going forward. So I think it's good to reflect upon some of the positive things that have come out of the pandemic. So, so Erica, what would you say was the one big thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to, to learn from all the experience that you've had over the last few years working in the events industry? I believe that the biggest takeaway is that you can never know it all. And knowledge is really important and continuing to educate and expanding through those boundaries on things that you don't know necessarily you haven't mastered if nothing more the pandemic at least has taught me that you can always grow and if you don't know what to do you can always find a strategic partner who can help you and that together we can be stronger and that the more you immerse yourself with learning and expanding the more tools you have in your toolkit to help your community and serve your community and be a better event planner marketer you know entrepreneur that's really really important and that with tragedy and with you know stress and in a global pandemic, we have two choices. We can either retreat and get stuck or we can forge ahead. And so I always say this, you know, fear and excitement, your body doesn't know the difference. They both give you butterflies, but you choose which way. You choose if that feeling becomes fear or that becomes excitement, but past either obstacle, right? On the other side would be greatness. So if you're not sure, look to a mentor, look to, you know, a business that's doing what you want to do and figure out how you can work together because you can always continue to grow. But if you stop and you just stay frozen, you will 100% never be able to move forward. And that's, in my opinion, the biggest takeaway that I've gotten. That is such good advice. And, you know, I never say to people that I'm a marketing expert or, or worse, a marketing guru, because 
you're learning every day. The world's changing every day. There's new technologies. There's new ways to communicate. We are all learning and we have to embrace that learning. Erica, you very kindly put together a download for the listeners of the podcast, haven't you? Yes, I did. Perfect. So if you'd like to be connected, you could go to bookevents.com and you'll get a PDF strategy for marketing and sales. And it'll also allow you to connect with us and the team. So it's at bookevents.com. Fantastic. Erica, it's been really interesting to talk to you this afternoon. So many shared experiences in this strange pandemic world and its effects on the events industry. Tell me, I'm hoping that some people might want to get in touch with you. So what's the best way that people should connect with you? They can go to our website. It's emrgmedia.com. And you can shoot an email if you'd like to events at emrgmedia.com. If I can answer any questions, I'm happy to connect. My name is Erica Maurer, and I thank you so much, Roger. Great stuff. Erica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I usually say to my guests, it'd be really good to meet up and have a coffee or a glass of wine at some point. Obviously, the pandemic ruined any chance of that. And of course, in your circumstance, we have 3,000 miles of ocean between us. But you never know, one of these days, I might get back to New York or you may get back to the UK. So possibly one day in the future. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Roger. Maybe we'll do a virtual cocktail soiree. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. If you need help with your marketing, please get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk. I'd love to work with you. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.